You're listening to another great podcast in the MyMac Podcasting Network. TechFan Podcast number 345. I am Tim Robertson, joined by David Cohen. And David put all the notes together this week because I've been lazy. <laughs> well, you've done you've done them for the past few weeks, so I thought I should pitch in, really. Works for me. You had notes last week and the week before. Did I? I can't, I can't really remember doing that many that often, so... Well, uh, we don't need a lot of notes because we have, like... We'll pick one subject, one little news thing, and think, well, that, that'll be like 10 minutes, and then a half hour later. This is true. This is most certainly it's is called true. called tangents. Mm. Yeah. Mm. So mm. I'm hoping it doesn't start raining hard today, because I got two things I need to do in my uh, Sequoia. Um, I put up, I had a, got a, I have a push bar on the front now. Right. Big black push bar. Yeah. Just because I, I wanted to mean it up. I'm not going out in the brush or anything with it. But my truck was, it's a big truck and it's nice looking and all that, but I wanted to mean it up. Right. You know. Have you put barbed wire on the push bar? No, it's you on really the back. That's on the back. <laughs> and the idea was, you know, it'll look good. So I didn't get one of the big chrome ones. Mine's all black. Right. But the headlights are so big on this thing, and they're just this big white glass headlights. You're talking about on the Sequoia or on yeah. the push bar? No, on the Sequoia. All right. Okay. So I also have replacement headlights coming. Mm-hmm. Not the lights themselves, but the in the plastic case. You know what uh-huh. you see from the outside, and they're they're black. They're the outside isn't black. It's still clear, but the inside is black. But it's very reflective. So I should mean it up a lot. Between that and the push bar, I'm pretty much done with the truck. And those are road legal, are they? Mm-hmm. Oh, okay, yeah. That, I, think, I think here um, we're kind of restricted from doing anything to the lights. Well, if you did it from on the outside of the lights, on the lens themselves, the lens are still yeah. clear. So you still get the yeah. same brightness. But it just... it's. It where it's silver and stuff, it's black now. Well, it will be. That package right. should be delivered anytime. It's on the UPS truck heading my way. Okay, cool. Sounds and good. I got a replacement right front door speaker. Um, didn't wasn't the sound system pretty good in there? Why did you need a new one? Well, I kind of destroyed that speaker over there. <laughs> All right. Okay. So, so I thought I was. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. Of course. Um, and these are not inexpensive speakers the stock speakers are high quality high-end jbl systems mm-hmm. so i thought i was just getting a replacement six inch little sub that goes in there but it's it's the whole thing it's it's the mid it's the base it's the case thing the little bracket thing that it goes into that as well okay i didn't need this much but cool but I, yeah i'm really hoping i did the smart thing and i left the plug in the truck plugged in but I don't think I did. I think I brought it in the house for safekeeping. And, of course, that safekeeping means I can't find the damn thing now. 
Yeah, this is my problem over and over and over yeah, again. Yeah, me got, too. Because I haven't really got... In my old house, I had a, an office and I had everything in there. Because I haven't got that now, I've kind of got things kind of spread all over the place. Various different drawers and cupboards and things like that. And I'm now at the point where I'm I'm forgetting what I have. And so I'm buying buying things, saying, oh, I need that, I need that, and then finding that I already have it. You already had it, yeah. I've been yeah, there. it's very, very irritating. I can get the plug at work. If they don't have it, they can have it the next day. But i got to rip my whole door panel off to get to it. It's it's only about a 10-minute job, 15-minute job. It's not that big a deal. But I don't want to have to rip that thing off twice. So I'm hoping it's in the truck. But Is there no, is there no way you can kind of peek inside and see without taking the whole thing off? No, i got to take the whole thing off. Yeah. Yeah. It's again, it's not that big of a deal. It's more of a big deal to put it back together correctly, so it's not loose or anything on there. You you got to hit them. You bang them to put them back in because it's these little snaps and it snaps back into yeah. place. And I hate unsnapping them because I always feel like I'm going to break the damn thing. Yeah. Sometimes you do. Sometimes yep. you don't. Sometimes it sounds like you have when you haven't. Yeah, because you haven't sometimes. pushed it all the way back in. And sometimes it doesn't sound like you've done anything to them, and you rip the things right off. Yeah. So, worst case scenario is I take it apart and the plug isn't there. Then I'll still install the new bracket with the speakers and everything because it's I'll, it's off anyways. And then all I have to do is get a new plug, wire the new plug in, and put it back together. And I'll be all done. And the headlights don't look like they're too difficult. I watched a uh, a YouTube video on how to do it, and it looks like it's maybe a half hour job for that guy. Anyways, how, I don't know how we did anything before YouTube. You, you broke a lot of things. <laughs> That's what, that's what we did. We broke things yeah. and went, ah, oh, I should have done this over here, but the, I didn't see this bolt. Yep. Yeah, so a few weeks ago, I was building some IKEA furniture for home, and those diagrams they give you instead of real instructions can be kind of difficult to understand. Um, I normally find when I'm putting IKEA stuff together that there's normally one piece or another where I've put put the, the piece of wood in the wrong way around or I've used the wrong part. And then you've got to try and figure out how to undo everything you've done. Uh, but a, a cab driver a few weeks ago was telling me that the, a big thing in his area now is uh, people who are professional IKEA installers. So you go to IKEA, you buy the furniture, and then you call these guys around, and, and they've built everything IKEA makes. And so they know exactly what they're doing without having to refer to the instructions. Hmm. I guess that's a real first world service. Well, I mean, I, I get the benefits too because. You know, if I got to give this guy 50 bucks to put this thing together and it's going to be correct, that might be worth my time. Yeah, absolutely. I've bought, yeah, if you've, if you've got something expensive in there and you mess it up and uh, then you've broken parts of it, I suppose it might be worth the saving. Yeah, it would be to me. Because, yeah. uh, you know, with IKEA, I don't think they sell online yet, do they? They do here. I don't think they. Um, yeah, I don't think they I, do I here think in you, the U.S. You can buy online, but you have to either have, have them deliver to the store and then have the store deliver to you or alternatively they you could they, you buy online they deliver to the store and you still have to go in and pick it up right and there for us there's no local ikea i mean i've been to ikea uh, many times because when i worked in chicago there was two none of them were necessarily close but nothing's close to each other in chicago mm-hmm. um and i i picked up uh i oh my old black shelves that i used to have my video game stuff on that that was from IKEA. I picked two of those up, and they were huge boxes. And somehow I got them in that little Honda Accord, and drove them from Chicago to home. That was an uncomfortable drive. Yeah. But I did it. I, I got to admit, I got it here. Um, 
And those are those are fairly simple to put together. But it's not just IKEA stuff. It's you know cheap furniture. I the bane of our existence as dads, of course, is the Christmas morning you got to put something together. Yeah. Ugh. I, here's Amazon. Here's another five bucks. Send it to me assembled, please. <laughs> just put it together. I don't. My kid doesn't want to wait around all morning for me to figure out how to put something together. And I don't blame them. I mean, you know, now you and I are probably better than the average dad about putting stuff like that together, but still. Yeah, I know. But, um, well, fortunately, as, as kids get older, then uh, the, the things they want tend to be require less. Uh, they still require batteries, but they're, they're recharging uh, and um, they require less assembly. Yeah, that's the other thing is you give them something and it has to be charged up for 12 hours before they can use it. Yeah, and of course, the the bane of our existence now is you give them something and it has to update itself before oh, you can yeah. use it. Well, four hours from now, you can play this. Exactly, yeah. So speaking of uh, of things updating and downloading, uh, Alexander's not very happy with me at the moment. Uh-oh. Really, really unhappy. Because he's been, he's been on, off school for a couple of weeks and... Um, his level of iPad time has gone up. Uh, it, it spiked massively upwards when Fortnite was released, funnily enough. Yeah. <laughs> and um, we've been trying to encourage him to do some kind of revision for exams and some extra schoolwork and that sort of thing while he's got some time off. Um, but it was becoming a bit out of hand. And because I'm not at home very much at the moment, because I'm away, you know, it gets left to Leanne to, to deal with all of that. And she just said to me, she said, I'm tired of arguing with him all the time. You know, and then he says he needs the iPad for school. Or he needs to check his homework. This, that, and the other. She says, "I don't know what's going on." So I put a uh, parental uh, management system onto the iPad. Oh boy! And uh, wow, it's locked down tight and then dropped down. <laughs> it basically is the same as a as a corporate um, MDM system. Right. Yeah, that's that's really all it is. Yeah. Um, so you install the profile. You install an application and a profile. Uh, and then the iPad is constantly then running a VPN, so all the web traffic is monitored and filtered. Um, and it also uses the stuff that Apple gives you to prevent applications running if you want to or locking down the iPad. I have his set up so he can only use it for a total of a, an hour every day during the week for school. Um, and the rest of the time he can't use it. And I can also specify what hours he can use it for, so he can't kind of save his hours up and then use it at 11 o'clock at night. Right. Um, and, yeah, this has made me extremely unpopular with him. You know, he, he started referring to me to Leanne as your husband. <laughs> <laughs> that's how annoyed he is. <laughs> that's pretty, yeah. Yeah, that's that's kind of, you know, that's, that's real teenager, uh, you know, trying to slap it to you. So much so that he, he's actually now given my wife the iPad and told us to lock it away because he says it's useless to him now. Mm. <laughs> to which I said, well, work then. <laughs> hey, it's working. Thanks, Apple. So you put a couple uh, uh, stories in here, as I mentioned that, you know, you're the one that put all of these in here. And um, what is the Steam Spy thing? Because I, I didn't, I, I don't know anything about this. So the, the reason I put this in here is not so much the story itself, um, though it's it's mildly interesting. But I think it it goes to the wider question, which um, you know Mark Zuckerberg and people like that have been wrestling with recently, which is their expectations about what you can do with stuff on the internet. So the background to this story is that Steam is um, 
Valve, who made uh, Half-Life and many other games. It's the system that they use to allow people to sell games. It's kind of like an app store. Yeah. Uh, yeah, for, for PC games. And it's pr- it is the biggest app store for PC games. In fact, they say nowadays, if you want to sell PC games, you have to be on Steam. Now, obviously, Valve takes a cut of that, and they run this service. To, oh, hold on a minute, uh, David. To, hey, David, uh, we got to pause because of my deliveries here. Keep okay. keep that thought for one second. All right, sorry about that. It was uh, the natural gas company here, and uh, they need to change a meter in our house. They just did it, too. I mean, it's, it's a new meter, but they said it's hosed. And uh, they have to – I told them you can't do it right now because I'm doing a radio show. Um, so they're going to come back Monday. doesn't make Julie happy because now she's got to be here for that. And I won't be No, well, but why is it? How do they know it's hosed? Because it communicates wirelessly through the network to them so they can get accurate gas readings, how much gas we've used to heat the house and the dryer and the stove. Yeah. Um, and that's how they bill us. It used to be, they would have to send someone out to read your meter house to house to house. But a few years ago, they had this initiative that they're going to replace all the meters with these wireless meters, and that's how they read them now. Yeah, they're trying to impose those on us here, but mm-hmm. legally, you don't have to have them yet, so a lot of people aren't. Anyway, I digress. Yeah. So, yeah, I was talking about this Steam story. So, yeah, Steam is a games app store, and it's the biggest in the world. Um, because it's a games app store, there's a lot of facilities on there for you to uh, provide Lots of information to your buyers for your game. You can buy videos, you can, uh, you know, different downloads, download of content, all that sort of thing. It's a real environment um, for games provision. Now, it turns out that this uh, company called Steam Spy has been using an API that Valve provides to get all sorts of data about um, the games sold on Steam. Not just um, what you buy when you might buy it, how much you paid for it. But because Steam is one of these things, and you you remember, remember a few years ago I, I was railing against it because I was playing games and it required me to connect it to Steam all the time while I was trying to play them. Right. Otherwise it wouldn't let me play them offline. Um, one of the reasons they do that is because apparently part of this API can report what games you're playing when and how long. And um, Steam Spy has been scraping all this information from the uh, Valve API and providing it to the games industry. Um, for a, a, a fee. Uh, and they're upset now because with the Silicon Valley's sudden discovery, the fact that people don't like... Being um, spied on? Yeah, don't like giving data away without being told about it. Yep. They have they are closing this API. And, you know, the guy from Steam Spy is upset that his business model has disappeared. And, and he said, well, we're going to have to shut down because we can't do this without this API. Uh, and I find it I found it very interesting this story because first of all the Steam Spy guy was was pretty pretty upset um and seemed to think this was very unfair. And uh this goes to the fact that a lot of these Silicon Valley companies are com- you know, they're completely oblivious to the fact that anybody would be upset about the lack of privacy. Um and uh they're quite happy to monetize it without really giving much thought to the privacy aspects or anything. Um, and uh, I found that tone interesting. I also found it interesting that, again, a big company like Valve has been freely giving out this data um, without, I suspect most users of Steam would be very, very surprised to find out that a third-party company can see exactly what games you're playing when. 
And for how long and what time and... Yeah, basically everything to do with your Steam account was apparently available through this, uh, through this ABI, API. Hmm. So uh, effectively what Steam have done, they've now said, is that this is, you know, this has to be... If you want to share this data, then you have to, you have to opt in. You have to agree to share it, which, of course, is not the default. The, um, the default used to be, you know, that everybody, could, everybody shared everything automatically and you had to opt out. They've now changed to an opt-in model. Uh, and the Steam Sky spy guy is is uh yeah he's not he's not happy a russian guy which <laughs> also surprising puts on the excitement to the whole thing you know um i i that i just i struggle with the mentality um that people have in this industry that you know everyone is so used to getting something for nothing and then a the third party company can come along and take the something for nothing, and they will make money out of it, and they'll also be upset when they don't get that anymore. Yeah, and exactly. Everyone kind of has forgotten that us poor peons at the bottom of the chain here are the people that makes all of this work, and they're basically just sloshing our data around, and it's all just you know great, happy, clappy, isn't it wonderful? You know, the the universe is better because of what we do, and um, you know, then they oh well, you know, why, why are you upset? Exactly. Why are you upset? It's just like <laughs> I was struck with the the Zuckerberg hearing this week. You know, when the the thing, you know, a lot of the questioning from the from the uh, senators wasn't really very good. But the the one that I did like was the one when the senator said said to uh, Mark Zuckerberg if he would be prepared to tell him which hotel he stayed in the night before. Right, and he wouldn't. Whereas, of course, you know, used through a Facebook API, that probably information that probably was available. Yep. Oh, there you go. Yeah, I well, what came readily apparent is, at least in the U.S., we need term limits on every position in elected government because you have some of these senators that's been a senator for 50 freaking years, and they don't know crap about technology, and these are the people that are in charge of making laws. They're asking questions. I, I saw a really good uh, a Twitter response to the whole thing. And I thought it was perfect. The senators were very impressed with the nice young man in the suit. And they're all hoping that he'll come to their house and set their clock so uh, VCR so they'll stop flashing 12. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I, there, is a, there is this weird deference to Mark Zuckerberg that I don't understand. Yeah. He, he runs one of the most avaricious companies in the world. And... Um, not just the senators, but also he, he did a he did a a, a, pre, a press conference or a kind of a like an open um, Q and A session with a whole load of journalists last week, uh, and I read the transcript of it, and and every single freaking journalist said uh, before they asked their question was, "Thank you very much for for meeting with us, Mr. Zuckerberg, and doing this question and answer." <laughs> Yeah, the ass kissery yeah, is... It's all deferential. Yeah. It's like, no, don't thank him. He's trying to save his company again by apologizing up to, up the wazoo again. Yeah, don't don't treat him with respect when he's he's been responsible for this dreadful breach of privacy. There was a a really good story. You know that uh, this holding company that has the Atari name is coming out with a new Atari system. And we've gone through this before. Yeah, it's this, like a vaporware thing. Yeah, it? yeah, yeah, yeah. So 
they go to the big video game conference thing, and which, by the way, came and went, and no one even noticed because <laughs> no one cared. So, anyways, they go, but they don't even have a booth. They have a hotel room. And so this British magazine that covers the game industry goes and sees this box. But, of course, it doesn't do anything. It, you can't turn it on. And the CEO of this company is there, and he's answering questions. Now, up until this point, all the questions have been very lowball. But the, this, this British company says, so um, what games are going to come on it? Well, we're working with various game developers, and uh, a lot of the classic Atari stuff is going to be on there. Okay, can you give us specifics? No. Hmm, okay. And so they keep pressing him. Okay, so how does this controller work? I don't know yet. Well, what's the, what's the date of this coming out? We don't know yet. And he couldn't answer any specific questions, including other than it's going to run Linux. Yeah, duh. Yeah. Um, it, it was, it was, they just called him out on everything and it was so refreshing. And then he gets really upset and he says, look, launching a brand new game console is like NASA sending a rocket into space. And the British guy goes, it's nothing like NASA <laughs> launching. It, there's absolutely no similarities. Yeah. It, and they just called him out for all the BS and basically calling it vaporware. This is not a real product. This is a company that's just trying to build people on a Kickstarter to try to make some money. And this thing is never going to come out. And even if it does, it won't even be as popular as the Ouya. That was a joke. Yeah. Which I own an Ouya and it's a joke. Um, it, it, it looks really cool. Don't get me wrong. It looks great. But the joystick he showed was the joystick that you could buy off the shelf for your computer, a USB Atari controller. That's all yeah. it was. Yeah, but, but this is the way, unfortunately, these things go nowadays, which is you, you launch with a big PR blitz in the hope of getting investment. There used to be a time when if you wanted to develop something, you kind of got, you got the prototype working and you went and showed it to people and then they gave you money exactly. to bring it to market. Yeah, and that way worked pretty well because obviously you had something real to actually generate rather than it just being gambling on on um you know on kickstarter type things kickstarter is a great thing it allows a lot of people who have no access to those sorts of industries to be able to bring things to market exactly for every good kickstarter there's 90 terrible well ones. i i think well it, we're getting off the point that i was trying to make yeah. but i think kickstarter needs to start restricting big companies from using kickstarter for anything yeah you know, if HP is using Kickstarter to fund development of a new camera, no, you're a big company. This is not yeah. the kind of thing that you should be doing. Get off. Yeah. Uh, but my point was this British tech company uh, publication did it right. They called yeah. it the BS where there's BS. They didn't let this guy walk away with no answers. Um, they called it the way it should have been called. And I wish more journalists out there did that. Look, if yeah. you and I were independently wealthy and could do this show and go on the road and go to these events, we'd be calling out these companies all the time. No question. I wouldn't be yeah. thanking Mark Zuckerberg for showing up no, in a situation uh, where his companies. The problem is, is, is uh, it seems to me modern journalists don't understand the difference between being polite and respectful. Beyond, uh, there's a difference between that and just sucking up. Yeah, and they're yep. far too too deferential. Yes, they're you know they're they're so worried about their access being cut off. Yep, 
that they're not prepared that they're not prepared to actually ask hard questions. Exactly, and they should be proud if if Mark Zuckerberg doesn't disallows them to come into Facebook headquarters and ask any questions. You should be yeah. proud of that. Well, let's face it, you're not going to get the real story from Mark Zuckerberg, are you? No, yeah, of course He's not. not going to break down and go, "Oh, I'm so sorry, you caught us." Yes, let that's me, that's not going to happen. Exactly, all the nefarious things we've been doing. You have to use proper real sources for that real proper journalism. Yeah, yeah. So getting not getting access to Mark Zuckerberg, the head of these companies, is if if you're really doing your proper job, isn't should not be a big loss. Right. Yep. Yeah. So, anyways, yeah, it's uh, speaking of doing the right thing. The FTC is, and you put this as the Ars Technica article. I actually read this one. Uh, the FTC warranty voiding language like Nintendo's and Sony's is illegal. The FTC warns companies to stop voiding warranties for unauthorized repairs. We've, this, all, we've all seen those stickers. Yes, void yeah. if seal is broken. Yeah, exactly. Uh-uh, that's illegal. And they keep doing it, and they keep enforcing that, even though it's an illegal activity. Yep. And, you can't uh, tell me I can't repair my own thing and it voids my warranty. That's just, that's illegal. Yeah. And it, it's about time that the FTC starts sticking up for people's rights like this. Well, the problem with the FTC is that, um, like many trade repre trade representation bodies, sorry, not uh, consumer representation bodies that are provided by the government, is, you know, they're a small organization compared to the job they have to do. Yeah. Um, so enforcement for them is very, very difficult uh, and very, very expensive, particularly if the, uh, the companies they're trying to enforce push back and then you end up with a lawsuit. So... Um, you know, they're always on the uh, – it's great when they do things like this. Unfortunately, companies will continue to try and get away with that. And they, nobody knows – they, apparently, they sent this let, a letter warning these companies. So six companies. Nobody knows who it is. But, uh, yeah, uh, there are – well, I, I actually had an, a, prime, a prime example of this myself last night. Um, I think I mentioned last week that my MacBook Pro was playing up. Yeah. Yeah. And um, so my MacBook Pro is used, and it's not under warranty, but it's playing up. So I booked an appointment at the Genius Bar, and I took it in there, and I explained what was going on, which was the um, the Thunderbolt ports aren't working, so I can't use external um, video on off those ports, right. which, which is what I need to do. Yeah, um, and uh, the guy said he said uh, so he took it in the back. He confirmed they weren't working. They took it in the back and opened it up and looked in there, and he came back and he said. Uh, well, it looks like this has had some third-party repairs on it. Uh, and then he went to his console. And he says, yeah, I can see that an Apple-authorized um, repair shop has been has, has done some repairs on this. So I said, well, I said, that wasn't me. That's before I acquired the laptop. So he said, well, we can't, we can't uh, even if you pay us, we can't repair it because a third party has been, has been in there, and, and I don't think they followed the right procedures. Now... <laughs> I, didn't I just, didn't he you know, say that it was an authorized Apple repair facility? Yeah, well, he apparently he can't tell me he can't tell me who it is because they don't have that information. Um, so I can't go back to that repair and say, look, it looks like when you did this repair, you broke something, and I don't want to collect some of the warranty from that. And um, even though it was an authorized repairer, because they're not happy that the work's been done to Apple standards, the Apple Store people won't touch it, even if I pay them. I mean, that, that should that was, be illegal. I mean, the, Paying out, paying for it was was uh, an obvious because the machine was out of warranty. Yeah, that should be illegal. You know? Well, uh, but this is the same thing. Now we have stronger consumer uh, 
protection laws here in the UK than you guys do, mm-hmm. um, our, our rights are much more broadly stated in law and um, much more heavily enforced than, you know, well, our, our country can afford to do that a little bit more because we're smaller. Yeah. Um, but nevertheless, they, these are the same sort of things. We see those stickers here all the time you know you can't there's always one screw you can't undo because if you undo that then they'll know you've been in the machine and and they say that automatically voids the warranty yeah and then half these companies you you try and get warranty work and their service is terrible and you've got to send the thing away and they might lose it and then they might argue with you over what's wrong with it and and all of this sort of thing it's bs yep yeah Hmm. and it's it's illegal but um Unfortunately, this is one of those things that we've seen it in the tech press. I mean, was it particularly widely reported in the mainstream press in the US? No. No. So nobody will know, and they'll carry on being ripped off by companies who don't want to do work. Apparently, car companies are terrible for this. Yep. What's, what's Toyota's policy? Toyota's very generous when it comes to the customer. Um, yeah. As an example, they had some shoddy frames way back in the mid-2000s. So we're talking at this point, what, 13 years old, some of them? We are replacing frames like twice a week on old Tacomas. Brand new frames. <clears throat> Not yeah. No charge to the customer. Mm-hmm. You don't see too many car companies still do that. Mm-hmm. That's, all Toy- that's why Toyota has such a loyal customer base. But if, if somebody has a car that's two years old and they get it serviced... Uh, somewhere else apart from uh, an approved Toyota dealership, what does that mean for their warranty? If they then come back and have a problem? Nothing. No. Mm-mm. no that's the way, well, obviously, that's the way it should be. That's the law. Yeah. But um, there are many car companies. Uh, good luck with BMW if you try doing that. Oh, Honda, too. If you're if yeah. you're three days out of warranty and something breaks, it's too bad. They have a, the, it, Their policy at Honda is that's it's, it's over. There's nothing yeah. we can do. Nothing. Yeah, Whereas Toyota's have, like, ah, it's only three if, days. We'll take care of it. Yeah. If you have a, a you know, a brake cylinder or something that, that starts leaking on a two-year-old car and you don't go to the Honda dealership, but you go to a, a dealership down, the, you know, an independent car maintainer, and he replaces it with a third-party compatible approved part, but a third-party part, and then go back to Honda um, afterwards, they'll say, oh, you've, your warranty's void because you've had non-approved work done on it. Uh, Honda's very strict about stuff like that, but I don't know what their policy there would be. Correct. It is illegal. Yeah. But I know that I know for a fact that Toyota is the opposite. They're very generous. They really take care of their customers. That's why I wanted to sell their cars. And, you know, I had choices on where I wanted to go and sell cars. There's a reason I picked Toyota. Yeah. Um, We do want to thank our sponsor this week. It's Otherworld Computing, MaxSales.com, because you know what, David? It is legal for people to repair and upgrade their computers, and OWC is a great hookup to get that done if you've got a Mac or a PC. Right now, they've got some great sales going on. I particularly like the refurbished Mac Minis that they got. $479, David, for a a Mac Mini Core i5, 2.5 gigahertz with Thunderbolt and USB 3. Talk about a fine, little tiny computer that would be perfect for like a Plex media server. It would be perfect. It'd be virtually silent, runs cool. You slap a couple external hard drives on there, put all your media on there and share it between any device, which it's any smart TV nowadays can run a Plex media player. And there you go. That's, that's all it takes. Uh, And not only that, given how infrequently the Mac mini has been updated, 
there's no way you should be going out and buying a new one from Apple no, at this point. No, absolutely not. And this is a big, late 2012, which is only one generation behind at this point. Yeah, yeah, which you're not, you're, you're not going to... In fact, I seem to remember the 2014 was a step down from the 2012. It was. It was a little sore because they went with that mobile processor architecture. Yeah, that's right. They basically put the MacBook Air in it. I, I'd rather this machine than the brand new one. Yeah, most definitely. And for less than 500 bucks, I mean, come on. And, and if you if your iMac dies and you've got uh, a spare screen, this is a very affordable alternative. Yeah, it's a uh, it's a great little machine. It's only well, got a five hundred gig hard drive. If you have an iMac that dies and you you're going to replace it, and you say, "Oh, if you've got a spare screen, even if you haven't got a spare screen, you could buy this and a new screen for less than what you'll pay for a new iMac." <laughs> oh, you can get a a twenty four inch screen for. 125 bucks now. Yeah. That and this machine, ah, oh, you're good to go. Indeed. So make sure you visit them at MacSales.com. I'll put a link to the refurbished Mac Minis in the show notes. So if you're interested, please click the link at either MyMac.com or TechFanPodcast.com so they can see that the traffic is coming from the TechFan Podcast. Um, this is kind of neat. I like this. Come on. Something just yeah. happened with my screen. This yeah. is the le- leading, into, leading into old computers mm-hmm. or older computers. So um, I was really struck by this because um, this is uh, the, the Lenovo ThinkPad 25. So uh, ThinkPads used to be made by IBM, and they were always legendary in the industry for being extremely well-built, extremely robust in design. They all look the same. They all kind of had a, like a like um, an aggressive black um, chassis with a really great keyboard on them. And um, they all had like a family look and a, a three-color IBM logo on them. Now, um, IBM sold the ThinkPad business to Lenovo some time ago. Um, and... It's the 25th anniversary of the original ThinkPad. And so that came out in 1992. produced a special anniversary edition of the ThinkPad called the ThinkPad 25. And this basically is one of their modern T-series laptops that kind of ginned up a bit to look like one of the old ones. So limited edition, um, not the cheapest laptop in the world, I'll be honest, but it, it looks, it looks very, really very nice. similar to the original ThinkPad. I, I really, really dig the looks of this computer. Yeah. I mean, it looks sexy. And yeah. I think that says something where it's got red. It's got the little red nub. It's got a blue return key on it. Uh, it's got actual ports. And it's yeah. black. And it's a plastic black. It's not. It doesn't look like it's metal. No, um, no, the, the, the ThinkPads were always made of plastic. But they always had like a like a solid chassis underneath, like a metal right. chassis. So. I think it says something about the state of hardware design, where we think this 25-year-old inspired computer is really the sexy. Yeah, I mean, and not only that, I think it's a, you know, it's a, it's a good, powerful machine, but it has a, a proper full travel keyboard, not a chiclet keyboard. Yep. It has a keyboard, keyboard layout that reflects the original ThinkPad keyboard, so yep. it's not got shrunken down keys. It's got forward and back browser keys, which they they always used to have. Um, It's got a full 
set of um, kind of navigation keys, like the insert, delete, page up, page Oh, down. wait a minute. This thing is junk. I just noticed it's lacking something very important that it doesn't have. What doesn't it have? It doesn't have a floppy disk drive. <laughs> Why the hell would I want this? Come on. No, this looks really sexy. It's really nice. Really very nice. And this got me thinking because, you know, I've been try I told you I've, I've been looking for things and, and finding things around my house. And I actually uh, came across my 12-inch PowerBook the other day. So I fired it up. And you know what? I still love that machine. Mm-hmm. It feels so right. And, and the ThinkPad 25 got me thinking. If Apple, who's, let's face it, their current laptop line has, has been a, a mediocre at best, um, in terms of cost and, and, and what performance it gives you and also some of the design additions they made. If Apple to do this with the 12-inch PowerBook, basically produce a modern version of the 12-inch PowerBook. A little bit thinner, obviously a lot lighter. The PowerBook weighs a couple of kilos, um, the 12-inch. But the same 12-inch size with that edge-to-edge keyboard, full travel keyboard, and modern internals and a retina screen. Yeah. Yeah. They could charge $1,500 for that, and they would fly off the shelves. Yeah, but That's Apple's so never been into the retro look about no, anything. I, I know they have. Even, well, even though their have. laptops are kind of retro at this point because they haven't changed in 15 years. Yeah. But, but in fact, you're thinking about it. There have been times they have. They did, they did a 20th anniversary Mac. It wasn't a retro machine. But they also did the Mac Classics in the back in days gone by, harking back to the older ones. Um, they've not, and you could almost argue the fact that the laptop up, uh, laptop designs have stayed true to the original titanium PowerBook form factor for a long time, suggests that actually they do have some kind of backward-looking um, people, and I mean that in the best possible way, but people who honour the past in some of their design decisions. I don't know whether they would, they would ever do a, like a like a anniversary power book, but you know what? I think if they did, and if they did, I'm sure they would do it well. The 12 inch power book is one of the most loved machines they ever made. Yep. I I think it would be uh, it would be pretty cool. I'd love to see that. I wish I wish it was possible. We're talking about Kickstarter stuff. Maybe someone should Kickstarter about taking that design and trying to update it themselves. I'd put money into that. This looks like a very cool. I like Lenovo's doing this, so that leads us directly to our wiki trolling, which is Lenovo. Since you yeah. picked this, I thought, hey, this is because I'll be honest with you, David. I don't know anything about Lenovo. Do you? Other than they I, they bought IBM's computer business years ago. Well, I've had I've had quite a few ThinkPads, so um, yeah, I know I know a bit more about them. Um, they when when they bought. The ThinkPad business, I think everyone thought that that was the end of the ThinkPad, really. How many times have you heard that? Somebody's bought a brand, uh, and then it, it just gets run into the ground. And right. They've actually done a pretty stand-up job of of keeping the ThinkPad line, the, the essence of it, very close to what it originally was. They are different now, but they still have a lot of the – they still reflect a lot of the design um, ideas that went into the original ThinkPads. They're still kind of big – Chunky, normally quite powerful, but you know, with great keyboards, um, good service, and that sort of thing, they're still a very popular computer line. Lenovo um, Group Limited or Lenovo PC International, often, short, often shortened to Lenovo, is a Chinese multinational technology company with headquarters in Beijing, China, and Morrisville, North Carolina. It develops, maintains, oh, sorry, it de- designs, develops, manufactures, and sells personal computers, tablets, smartphones, workstations, servers electronic storage device, IT, so 
even smart TVs, they're they're really big. Lenovo yeah. is the world's largest personal computer vendor by unit sales since 2013. Lenovo yeah. operates in more than 60 countries. Now they don't seem to suffer from the kind of the Chinese associations that uh, companies like Huawei do. In that, um, I, you see, you see, certainly in the UK company, you see plenty of Lenovo computers. Yep. So they don't seem to think they have. They have had their problems in the past where they've been um, caught putting virtual spyware and stuff like that onto the machines. I, I think they did a rootkit once in the interests of updates. Um, but uh, you know, they are very yeah, they are very big, and they are um, they have been good, pretty good stewards of the of the the ThinkPad line. The fact that they can even go back twenty five years and say. Yeah, we can take one of our modern computers and and send it something that that's very much inspired by the the original ThinkPad. Says how much they've um, they and people think that. like us tech heads think it's cool. Yeah, absolutely. Lenovo yeah, was founded cool. in Beijing in November 1984 as Legend, and was incorporated in Hong Kong in 1988. Lenovo acquired IBM's personal computer business in 2005 and agreed to acquire its Intel-based server business in 2014. Lenovo entered the smartphone market in 2012 and as of 2014 was the largest vendor of smartphones in mainland China. In 2014, Lenovo acquired the mobile phone headset maker Motorola Mobility from Google. Which is... Man, that's... I didn't realize that they're that big. I mean, I knew I knew they were big, but that's that's pretty big. <laughs> yeah. Um, um, they're a yeah, they're a big, powerful electronics company. You know, um, revenue revenue in two thousand sixteen was forty three billion dollars. So, you know, pretty big. Pretty big, um, and uh, yeah, they sell a lot of different things. I must admit. I'm not as familiar with their phones and their TVs and stuff like that. Um, I, d- I don't know. I don't know what what those are like. But um, man, the computers. The computers are sweet. The other thing they they they're well known for is that um, they were one of the first companies to do these tablet convertibles. You know, the the kind of things that are like a laptop, but the you can fold the screen right back and turn it right round to the other side and turn it into a tablet or have it stand up like in this tent configuration. Um, and uh, the Lenovo Yoga is is the brand that they, they put on any computer that does that. And um, those are pretty well regarded as well. I, I think, you know, they're they're pretty uh, pretty well well-favored electronics company. You know, they were. I'm sure they're. I'm sure they're, I'm sure they're, they're probably, a, from our point of view, the Chinese equivalent of Apple. Yeah, it was founded oh. in uh, 1984 with a group of ten engineers in Beijing, uh, with a 200,000 yuan, with 30 dollars. The Chinese government approved Lenovo's incorporation on the same day. One of the founders of Lenovo indicated the first meeting in preparation for starting the company was held on the 17th of October. So they started this just a few weeks later. Uh, Eleven people in the entirety of the initial staff attended this first meeting. Each of the founders was a middle-aged member of the Institute of Computer Technology attached to the Chinese Academy of Sciences. The 2000 yen, yan, yun, yun, I don't know, used a startup capital. I should know because they're going to own everything I own eventually. Yeah. Uh, uh, yeah, yeah. Their first significant effort, an attempt to import televisions, failed. 
the group rebuilt itself within a year by conducting quality checks on computers for new buyers. So they were kind of like the Geek Squad. Yep. Uh, Lenovo soon started developing a circuit board that would allow IBM compatible computers to process Chinese characters. So that's kind of a big deal. The product was Lenovo's first major success. Lenovo also tried and failed to market a digital watch. Lenovo said our management team, or Lee said, it's one of the founders, our management team often uh, deferred on which commercial road to travel. This led to big discussions, especially between the engineering chief and myself. He felt that if the quality of the product was good, then it would sell itself. But I knew this was not true, that marketing and other factors were part of the eventual success of a product. The fact that its staff had little business experiences compounded Lenovo's early difficulties. We were mainly scientists and didn't understand the market, he said. Uh, we just learned by trial and error, which was very interesting, but also very dangerous. Yeah. <laughs> you know, they are kind of the apple of their time, I guess, because... They were just, you know, one guy is the waz. He said, no, if we make great hardware, it's going to sell. And the other guy's like, no, it's not. You can't just have great hardware. you got to market this. you got to sell it correctly. Yeah. It took the two of these mindsets, just like at Apple. You know, Steve Jobs was the marketer. He's the salesman. Steve Wozniak is the guy building the great products. you got to have both. I don't care how great of a marketer you are. If your product is crap, it's not going to sell. And I don't care how great your product is. If nobody knows about it, it's not going to sell. So you got to have both sides. And th- that's exactly what Lenovo went through. And so for them to start out with just these 10 engineers in, in 1984, and they failed at first. And they kept going and look at them now. That's that's really that's really impressive. Yeah, they um, they were sponsors of the Beijing Olympics 2006, and uh, they designed the uh, sorry 2008 the Summer Olympics the 2006 Winter Olympics in Italy, and then 2008 Summer Olympics in Beijing. And they also designed the Olympic torch for the 2008 Summer Olympics, which by all accounts was a great success, except they only had a four hour battery life. Huh. <laughs> <laughs> I'm I'm reading um yeah. I'm reading some of their stuff here. Their history is is it's kind of compelling. It's yeah. It's, What's interesting it's a good is story. You know, a small Chinese company has turned this as big multinational, and they they are almost the inverse of an American tech company. They have pushed out of China uh, by by acquisition and and smart moves into the West. Um, Funnily enough, a lot of their computers are now not being made in China. They're being made in India. So, again, even in China, when you want to get something done cheaply, you outsource. You don't do it at home. <laughs> right. Yeah. You know. Uh, uh, Lenovo paid $1.2 billion for IBM's computer business and assumed an additional 500, or $500 million of IBM's debt. Yeah. Wow. I tell you, if you want a really good quality, cheap laptop, buy a used Lenovo. Uh, use ThinkPad. You know, you they are they are ab- less than two hundred and fifty dollars. You'll pick up a you you know a, th- a four year old five year old um, ThinkPad, and it will be rock solid, absolutely rock solid. Hmm. Yeah, I've I've just given one to, one to my daughter, and uh, she really likes it. Well, you know, I think there's a Western bias a lot of times against. Um Chinese companies, 
I, I always find that really odd because all our stuff is made in China. <laughs> you know? It pretty much is. Um, yeah. And I think Lenovo, I've got a, 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 not that I had a disrespect from him before. I just didn't really know much about him. Um, yeah, I got a lot more of a respect for him now. Yeah, it's easy to lump them because the name's a little bit odd. Um, it's easy to lump them in with those, you know, real cheap bargain basement box shifters. You know, the guys who, who come out of South Korea and, and parts of China. Um, but, yeah, they're a little bit different. I like this. Lenovo sold its smartphone and tablet divisions in 2008 for $100 million in order to focus on personal computers and then pay $200 million to buy it back in November 2009. <laughs> yeah. Uh, maybe yeah, we shouldn't I, have sold that. <laughs> yeah, maybe. Uh, I, I, again, they, I, I think in the West they are really not known for their phones, but I would imagine in China it's a different story. Well, they're number one in China. Yeah. Plus, I mean, they're a Chinese company selling Chinese headsets in China. I mean, you know. Home field advantage. We're, we're tri- well, we're tribalists no matter yeah. where, what country we're at. We just are. You yeah. know, if you're watching the Olympics, if you're watching the Olympics, you're rooting for the British guy. If I'm watching, I'm rooting for the American guy. It's just the way things are. Yeah. You know, as long as we can keep it civil, there's, that's, that's fine. That's what competition's about. But it's when you start vilifying the other people to prop yourself up, that's when you get into problems. Sure is. Just my liberal viewpoint coming out. Anyways, we should probably wrap up this show. We got a, another one coming up in a week. We got to save some stuff to talk about, right? Uh, Yeah. <laughs> Did we have any more notes? I think we had Anything, more. Oh, the, the, only, the only thing I want to mention was um, that quick note we got from listener. Oh, yeah. Um, what's his name now? Paul. Top of the, uh, Paul Nissel, who who said, um, he, this is re- in response to me talking about the Dells last week. Uh, he said, I would have thought David would look at the new Linux Dell laptops, especially from the security aspects. The UK-based Ubuntu podcast are reviewing one next week. Um, I've not listened to that show yet. I will do, um, Paul. Thanks for pointing pointing uh, me at it. Um, I had I did have a look at the Linux line that Dell do. Uh, they're actually the same computers I was talking about. They're um, the XPS series. They're just running uh, a, a customized version of Linux rather than Windows. I don't have a lot of experience of Linux. Um, I have used it a little bit on my Chromebooks and uh, on the Raspberry Pi. My personal opinion is that I've never found a Linux distribution that I think is ready for prime time in terms of corporate use. I know a lot of people disagree with that statement, but my feeling with Linux is that you you are saving a lot of cost on the operating system by doing a lot of the support uh, and software build stuff yourself. We need to have other people do that for us, and that's why we use Windows. So, um, you know, if you're a lone developer or you're somebody who knows Linux inside out, I'm sure these uh, Linux Dells are great for you. But um, unfortunately, we have to stick with Windows. It's also what our clients use, so we have to interchange with them and, and that sort of thing. So, Yeah, I don't have so a lot of experience anymore either. I'm looking forward to uh, catching up with it and see what they think of the Dells. So. I've got... A video that I posted 11 years ago called the TriBook MacBook Pro, TriBoot MacBook Pro. And it's, and I made a thing, it, it booted Windows, it booted the Mac OS, and it uh, booted, I think it was Ubuntu at the time. And it's got 44,000 views on YouTube. 
Wow. Uh, <laughs> it's 11 years ago. Yeah. <laughs> that yeah, was no, a long time ago. Uh, I mean, of course, nowadays, you don't really need to triple boot at all. You can run everything as a VM, um, which is, is another good option as well if you want to. You know, so say you've got a Windows Dell and you want to be able to run... Uh, I've actually recommended this to a couple of the guys that work here. Because we've recently tightened up the security on our machines and locked them down, they couldn't do a lot of the stuff they wanted to do. Um, there were things that I don't think they're meant to be doing, but they do them anyway in terms of what they do for their clients. I said, to, said look, you can install a virtual machine on there, run whatever you want, uh, and then you don't need to, have, need to worry about our security settings because it's your own environment. Um, and that's easy, that's easy to do nowadays than doing the whole triple boot thing. It's funny, I'm, I haven't really done anything with our MyMac video page in years. We have occasionally upload a video to it, but the most popular thing we've got up there is a painted MacBook Pro that was painted this gloss black that Sam Levin had done. It's got 166,000 views. The number two video we have is from seven years ago, and you remember this one because we were doing the video, we were doing TechFan at the time. Two iPad thieves, the guys that came in and stole two iPads from our I store at that, yeah. that That's got 56,000 views. Mm. Uh, also at 56,000 views from 11 years ago, changing icons in Mac OS X. <laughs> 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 uh, some of these, I, you know, I, it's amazing that they've been watched. I, I have a 10-year-old iPhone case review, a DLO jam jacket for iPhone. I look a lot young, and I'm wearing some stupid Hawaiian shirt for whatever reason. And that's got 17,000 views. It's crazy. The, I, I I never go back and look at how many people have watched these old videos. Yeah. Now, if it is a view of somebody starting the video, because I can imagine if, particularly for something old like that, if somebody links to it somewhere and then a group of people come across it, you might get a spike, but only if the views count from when they start watching it because i would imagine a lot of people start watching a video but never get to the end of it yeah i'm sure that's probably the case i don't know yeah i don't know enough about um i just don't do anything with youtube you know at one time i thought eh, maybe it might be cool if if at the my mac show or on this show we broadcast live onto youtube while we're recording but that would require one of the biggest drawbacks of course that was your crappy bandwidth for many years yeah. Um, that it's just <laughs> not possible. For many years, it's still, still my crappy bandwidth. Well, only because the, the company was ripping you guys off for the mobile stuff, um, yeah. which still sucks. Um, oh, Chris Siebold's the three-year, three-year, sorry, the three-yard dash for smokers has got uh, 1.5 thousand views. <laughs> <laughs> You've probably never seen that one, have you? Oh, I'm shaking my head at that one. Yeah, it's pretty. Dude, you should look. Oh, the, I, Chad and I did a review of an HP Smart uh, Photo Smart two or four twenty five digital printer, which is kind of funny because we start the review and then I get out of it and Chad does the review for someone that's never touched it. Yeah, and we're kind of talking about how simple it is that you know even an imbecile could kind of do some of this. And so we'll cut an imbecile like Chad. Well, that that was the joke that Chad, even yeah. Chad can do it. But then, as he's working on this printer, we kind of speed it up, and then we and with this music, and then a picture of a monkey shows up, and then another picture of a monkey shows up, and then a picture of George Bush shows up. 
It's quite the funny. Thing, the thing about video, I find, is that you know a lot, lot, a lot of people are intimidated by the idea of podcasting. Yeah. Even though the equipment you need to do it is so easy, um, you just need basically a computer and a microphone, and you've got everything you need. A lot of people are intimidated by the thought of doing what we do and just sitting here talking for an hour. It, the way many people feel about recording audio is the way I feel about recording video in that it intimidates me and I don't feel very comfortable and I don't think I'd be very good at it and therefore I don't really do it that's the music from when Chad's putting it all together it's almost a cliche at that point the funny music over sped up video isn't it well but this was 11 years ago yeah I know but uh, you should watch that video you'll get a kick out of it you'll like this video it'll make you laugh I shall watch it when I get home tonight so we're going to wrap up this episode of Tech Fan like I said about 10 minutes ago David I'll (laughs) see you next week see you then bye people bye bye